Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, welcome Steve Schultz from Longwave. Steve is also an accomplished music producer, composer for film, TV, and advertising. If you're wondering why Steve is on, I have three reasons. First, when I moved to New York City, Brooklyn Thing was about to blow up, and I was working at a label nearby a lot of these venues in the city where bands like The Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and others cut their teeth. Longwave were around a little bit past that, and I absolutely love them. Second, I was and still am obsessed with Shoegaze. The similarities to the long droning emo songs that I also cannot stop emulating is directly related to my love of Shoegaze. I would happily quit my job and join a shoegaze band tomorrow. Hit me up. Third, I found out about a half hour into this podcast that Steve's past band, Scout, toured with Sunny Day Real Estate on the How It Feels to Be Something on tour. Are you kidding me? He waited 30 minutes to tell me that? Well, Steve has a very funny story about Jeremy Enoch, and you will want to listen too. To be honest, this one is sort of for me. Over the years, Steve and I have crossed paths through friends and music here in New York City. I know, it's not emo, it's not hardcore, but Steve's music is fucking beautiful, and Longwave Shoegaze is what I'd want to sound like if I ever picked up my guitar again. Why should you listen? Steve weaves a rad story about early New York City, the boom of 2000s Brooklyn, and the lasting effect of that era that still resonates today. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. You make this podcast possible. If you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 146 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Steve Schultz from Longwave. Steve from Longwave. Hey. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're in your studio. We're here. Yeah, this is uh, is where it happens. This is where it happens. (laughs) In in a bunker in Dumbo. Yeah, right? Uh, If it's funny walking around Dumbo when I used to get off on the F train maybe 15 years ago, there was... Oh, you wouldn't get off here. Uh, Yeah, It would be a bodega and like one spot. uh, Yeah, I I heard stories because off the York F stop, is that where you... Yeah. You come off and you kind of do a quick turn and start going down a hill and apparently there were kids that used to wait with baseball bats uh beyond the the, the, cur- the turn you know so you'd come out and you wouldn't you can't see you have kind of a blind spot wow. and uh and yeah they would they would they would you know jump you and i remember coming down here with the, my car uh around that time probably and for some rehearsal and it was i'm sure it was in this building and i 
didn't want to park. I was like, I don't feel comfortable leaving my car here. You used to be able to go right underneath the bridge, and I did turn around. I was like, holy shit, man, this is where you dump the body. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Suzu with Williamsburg. I wouldn't go past the second stop. I think this is... Uh, I mean, I, I live in Williamsburg, and I work here. But even here, the but early two thousands, I feel like you wouldn't, you wouldn't. Yeah, I, I just, I never felt unsafe in Williamsburg. I, you I felt unsafe here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> totally. At night, for sure. And then when I came to look at the at studio, uh, I guess five, maybe six, five, six years ago now, I remember thinking, I don't want to go down to Dumbo. It's scary down there. And I came down. It was like you know, people having their coffee on the sidewalk. Yeah, like, a little bit different. What what happened here? <laughs> like, I think it's more. Uh, more of a quick uptick in gentrification than Williamsburg because Williamsburg is, was probably very fast, obviously, but this really was like uh, unrecognizable to me. Yeah, no, definitely, that's cool. And then you grew up in Rochester, right? Yeah, wow, yeah. So was it? What how do was, you know? <laughs> come on, I do my research. <laughs> Sorry, okay, great. But like with with music, how did you get into music when you were up there? Because I th- I grew up in a small town. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Vermont, so okay. up, like kind of close to Montreal, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like I had shows. Like Rochester, I think you definitely had access to it, but you were also separated a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, I think Rochester now has more of a scene than than ever, as far as I know. I don't know from, you know, definitely more than when I was there. When I was there, um, there were bands that I, I liked and that were, were good and the people were nice, but it... it uh, I don't know. The, 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 when I was probably, I had a band when I was like sixteen to eighteen ish, and I was the youngest. Scout? No, no, no. Something no. earlier than that. Earlier than that. Yeah, <laughs> the band was called Dizzy Monk. Good name. Uh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was just the guitar player, and um, and yeah, we made a CD, and that was a very important thing at the time. But the, the band broke up, and it was kind of like. I gotta get out of here. Like I, I, I can't. You know, I couldn't really. I knew everybody in the yeah. city, so it wasn't. You know, that wasn't a good thing to 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 have. Like you know, cause you felt like there's no. You just felt options. you kind of uh, you did it all in that. Uh, well, it was just more like I, I, I really felt like I knew. You know, I could have. I guess maybe what would I do? The band had, I was in had broken up. I could start a new band with the bass player from him or the drummer from him. Yeah, but it 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 wasn't right, and so. Were you um, singing yet? No, I was terrified of singing. You hadn't sung yet? No. When did you start singing? Uh, I mean, I sang on like four-track demos, but um, Longwave was the first band I sang. Really? On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when you started, I, were you ready to? No, I was terrible. I was terrible, too. I, I, we, we booked shows at... Long, so I was in Scout uh, when I first got here to New York. When did you move here? 98, March 98. So... This year's twenty years for me here, which is kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, joined Scout. Scout was already going. They needed a guitar player. They had horrible luck with guitar players, and so I came along uh, and I started playing with Scout. And I was very protective and, and, and proud of Scout. So I had this other idea to play some of my own songs because I wasn't the songwriter in Scout. Uh, I would only book a shows at like the Bag It In, you know, this place, or uh, what else? Where else do we play? I mean, Sidewalk Cafe, you know, like we would play, and that was Longwave, and it was just, like, terrible, <laughs> awful, and, but, uh, but pretty soon kind of got a little bit better, and then at some point, I felt emboldened enough to take on the Luna Lounge, you know, that was like a big deal. Yeah, of course. Scott was already playing the Luna Lounge, 
but and I didn't want to play the Luna Lounge because I don't want to muddy the waters. And Scout was doing well. Scout was going to get a record deal. Scout had a lot of people interested in in the band at that moment. So I didn't want to fuck that up. But uh, at a certain point, I just couldn't help myself, you know. <laughs> so it kind of started, you know, getting more and more of my life and my attention. So, but then singing, like I mean, for you to, if you hadn't up to before that, what were what were thoughts or what were things that were going through? Like, uh, was there vo- the voices in your head? Was the sound in your head of what you wanted to? Oh no! It was like classic where I, I imagined myself opening my mouth and like Tom York's voice coming out or something, which was not what happened. Turns out, you know. So yeah, uh, um, I'm trying to remember. The first time I ever sang like for real was on uh, the first Longwave record, and I remember singing it. it it was good and bad. The guy that recorded it, Pete Min, who still I'm still very good friends with Pete. Uh, he had all these beautiful old mics and compressors, and so that really sounded nice when I was singing. And the headphones, like it was really nice sounding. So that was good in one way. In another way, I really probably could have used another year of like singing shows and like getting it together before I did that. But you know, it is that, that is the history. So, how did you guys get get together? Was there any bands or music? I didn't ask that earlier, but Longway? sort of like, yeah. How did you guys like? What music did you connect on? What what things did you guys all sort of? Yeah, uh, let me think. You, so you got you got to understand. So I was still I was playing guitar with a scout, uh, a band called Magnet at that time. Did a couple shows with. Um, Longley was like a side thing. Really? And, well. When I first moved here, I, I knew I could play the guitar. I didn't wasn't so sure about singing or writing songs or anything. So I, I just started looking around for people I could play guitar with, and I thought that'd be a good way to meet people. Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, at some point I met the Dave, who became the bass player in Longwave. And yeah, we connected on... He was a punk rocker, and I, I was not. Uh, but I liked the music that he showed me. I mean, he turned me on to T-Rex, and I, I mean, obviously The Clash, the... He was a big fan of, uh, well, the Ramones, which I was, it took me longer with the Ramones for some reason. The Clash had songs I knew already, you know, so it was an e- easier gateway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, he, you know, he played me Combat Rock and Straight to Hell, and I was like, well, this is a beautiful song. And then from there, you know, I tended to like the more, uh, not not as not as raw or something, not as like, you know, one, two, three, four. Like, that yeah. wasn't necessarily my, my thing right away. But um, what was your stuff? What was kind of what, what 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 did you grow up on, or what did you feel like you connected with most? Uh, if it wasn't the punk stuff, indie rock, or yeah, it changed. I mean, I wasn't really uh, oh definitely form, changed. Formed a warrant at first. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. <laughs> I, I I wasn't formed at that moment. You know what I mean? So like, I was like guitar player, metalhead kid, and then I joined oh, really? Dizzy Monk, and that singer in that band. Uh, he sat me down. He played. He played me all this music. Played me uh, early REM stuff and Pixies and the Smiths and Wow, uh, psychedelic furs, Jesus and Mary Chain. And he said, you know, listen to this REM solo, and I'm listening to it. And it's like three notes. And he would say, why do you, you know, do you think he couldn't play more than that? And like, and I was like, well, no, he probably. He's like, well, why is he doing that? And it's like, you know, he started thinking about it. Well, it sounds really good in the song when he's doing this simple guitar solo. The guitar sounds good. He's the notes are, are are beautiful. So he's the one that started getting me to think more about you know playing guitar like a uh, part of a, a band or a songwriter. You know, like 
not a songwriter like you're strumming guitar chords, but like if you are the songwriter, what you want to hear is not, you know. So, yeah. Which is what you kind of came up on a little bit with, I mean, metal is yeah. definitely that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I moved to New York with like, that was about the time I moved, I, with like listening to, uh, you know, the, the, the Smiths and, and the Pixies and all this. And then pretty soon it became like, you know, had had a David Bowie phase, just went through all the, all you know, learning phases, uh, which... I, I would say are, are are like essential. You know, it wasn't like I was any different from anybody else. I was had I just had to go through them like everybody else. And yeah, like learn about the Plastic Ono Band record or learn about whatever. And so when Longwave started, it was still at the, kind of maybe at the end of. You know, Dave was turning me on to music that he liked, and then I met Shannon, who became the guitar player, and Shannon turned me on to Modest Mouse and things on the West Coast that he had grown up listening to. What other stuff was he? Uh, he also liked the Pixies, and then he liked. Uh, God, I'm thinking, drawing a blank. But that's cool how you had sort of the the West Coast guy, the East Coast kind of getting into stuff. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that actually until you just said it's interesting. Yeah, Dave was the West Coast, or, I'm sorry, East Coast New York punk guy, and Shannon was West Coast. Shannon was forever telling me we should get over to the West Coast because you could tour up and down much easy, more easily. You know, and right away we started touring up and down the East Coast, which I was booking everything. I mean, at a certain point, I just again became like emboldened. I was like, you know what? I've got these guys that want to do it with me. Yeah, and they don't seem to think the songs I write are bad. They, everyone's. I realized you could just say you're a singer, and all of a sudden you're a singer. People say, "Oh, he's the singer." You know what I mean? You just have to say you are. So, uh, yeah, that was a big revelation so when the, when you're forming the songs were was the did you feel those different influences as or did you already have the songs let's say just not not overall but just saying those, those first few songs you guys were working on together as yeah. long wave did you did you have you know because again you're coming out as yourself not as a part yeah you're coming with the record and the song to other people right right well Again, I don't think I feel like the the the, the first Longwave record is called End Songs, and Shannon recorded it. And like I said, the first time I ever sang was like you know into a real mic was on that. And I think that record is not completely formed yet either. It, it's it's close. Like I think the guitar playing is 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 pretty fully developed, but some of the songwriting and the, definitely the singing didn't get better until the next record, which was the first RCA record that we did. So, and that was also coinciding with we started writing stuff together. So it was more like a band. Like I came to them with songs, and then at a certain point, uh, when it really got interesting was when they started playing something. The other three of them, without me, and I'd think, well, shit, they need someone to sing now. So I'm going to sing, and before you know, it, we're writing something together. You know, so that was almost in a cool moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, I'm sure you can relate to that. But just to feel that, to know that you've got other people that are connecting and you yeah. have all those influences together. <clears throat> and especially at that time, I moved in June of 2000 or July of 2000. Yeah. That was a crazy time, you know, the for music in New York. Right. So well, this, was, this would be before that. So uh, I know it was before that, but I'm saying like it, <clears throat> that record, you putting that out, like oh. just feeling there was this sort of... 
but I've, but that's why I said it's before because it's important to know. But when we started, uh, I didn't realize the Strokes were starting too. Like the, you know, no one they were, we were all just bands around, and uh, the bands that everyone would be talking about were like the Spin Doctors, Blues Traveler, and there was a band called Weedus. I remember Weedus, and I and like I didn't relate to any of these bands. You know, and, and none, nobody in Longwave did either. We were like, and so it it, it definitely was not uh, like a happening scene at that moment. It was like we got like I left Rochester. I was like, but this this is kind of better because there's a cool club. The Luna Lounge was fun to go to, and definitely like the guys in Longwave. I, I couldn't find people like that in Rochester. At least I I didn't know them. You know, so like to me it was definitely cooler, but it wasn't like. Uh, it still felt like nobody's getting it, or, or no one's or, paying attention. Yeah, or 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 like maybe not. No one's paying attention, but almost like there's no model. There's no like proof that we can do this. You yeah. know, it's like when the strokes happened, it was like, oh my god, like they they're they're doing it. You know what I mean? And the, the next thing was, yeah, I guess the Interpol or the French Kicks. I don't know who was next. And then I was like, wow, it's like there's a real we can do this you know it's 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 kind of a bit like when you when you say you're a singer all of a sudden you're a singer it's like yeah. well we're a band oh hey look you know here we are was it know? fun being a part of that before that happened that's what i was kind of getting at like not the moment that everyone knew was breaking but the, yeah. the moments before that's almost like more fun because uh, it's a little less there's there's not there's not the label guys there there's not the you're just kind of like figuring it out together well we never had label people the, sh- the first time we had label people at the show was after the strokes was happening and because they were looking for the next one you know, they didn't want to be left out and we had our manager was the strokes publicist and um we- i meant before i meant before yeah. all that happened yeah 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 You're yeah just yeah. playing shows together with these bands yeah the best times then uh we didn't really feel, uh, play with like the best times like i still knew people from scout like i was we were still kind of working with what we knew already uh meaning like we would do a lot of shows not in new york at that time we, like i booked all this all these shows in the south and out to chicago and back it was amazing the first year we were a band we did like a hundred shows and only like you know one every six or eight weeks was in new york what were those like the out of state they were awesome they were they were awesome in like a. how were they finding out about it because remember the internet wasn't that savvy oh well i would just book it and like most of the time they'd be nobody there you know or like we would play with the sheila divine was 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 one right so this is how it would happen i'd hear about a band we play in philadelphia that i and i had no clue what was going to happen and then we meet a band we met a band called busker soundcheck in philadelphia they played in they were from chicago next thing you know come out to chicago and play at busker soundcheck and so we we're always good at making friends with bands and so uh there was a band called jolene that were from charlotte and they they taught us a lot. I mean, we were like in college. Not, I don't mean literally in college, but like in band college. We were like interns and learning about these things. Like, there's a band called the Red Telephone from Boston. They had a record deal with Warner's, and we met them around this time. This is all before the Strokes were thing. And we we met them around this time, and we heard all these horror stories about they made a record <laughs> and it didn't get released. You're right. Yeah. So these were like common stories then. Um, Jolene had a record deal with Sire that like they were on hold so wow. they were touring and touring but like not sure what was happening and we would tour with we would be doing these shows with them and so you're kind of just l- learning a lot by watching and especially with Jolene the way that 
their singer and all of them, but their singer named John Crook, the way they went about doing their stuff was totally DIY and, uh, but classy. Like I remember feeling like just their interactions with people was, was always really classy. And I thought there was a dignity to it. You know, even if it wasn't hundreds and thousands of people at the shows, you could still, you know, leave people thinking like, I'm happy we met that, that, that guy and those guys in the band. And so even back then there was like, I think we were just kind of learning and, 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 and like these kinds of things would serve us well later when like we would get a record deal and then we, we were not expecting to take over the world and we did not blow through the money and we tried to, you know, we were just lucky in a lot of ways too, but we'd, you know, try to do the right thing all the time. Uh, and not wind up fucking ourselves at the label and having them shelve our record or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's interesting. You talk about like that time before and learning from those bands because yeah. now it's it's a text, it's an email, and I I just it's interesting when you when you spend even if it's a night, yeah, it lasts. And Ooh. I some of that's I think I love being able to converse with people back and forth through the yeah. internet. But I it that touring element of it and putting in that work in that time period, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think somehow, I feel like that's, you get more experience. It's, I don't know. You're in the classroom versus the online class. Totally. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still friends with all those people. So it's, 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 I'm not saying you don't get friends from the internet, but it's, there's something of, no, as you're learning are, and you're in those same uh, moments of, no, you're these wide-eyed. are like, these are like, bro- like, like army buddies or something, you know, yeah. like we, I could text this. I do text a singer from Jolene every once in a while, and we there's stuff that only we know. You know what I mean? Like bands, like uh, when things aren't going, if things aren't going well, and they sometimes they won't, right? They go well, so like it's good to have your people that would go to the mat for you, you know. And, and they were them, and we were them for those guys, you know. Yeah. So uh, there's stuff like I could text him right now and I could say, you know, the other other bands that we didn't like at the time or like a shitty club that we played would never <laughs> go back to. And it, it just felt good to be like, well, you know, that that sucked, but at least we were there together. And I remember touring with those guys and having walkie-talkies, one in each van. Really? Yeah. And like, you know, like driving in the middle of the night kind of thing after a show or something and like silent in the van all of a sudden you hear you know you know the walkie talkie's going you hear someone comes over the thing going living after midnight you know it's like sitting on the floor singing you know we're like looking over at it and you realize it's the bass player from jolene yeah. like just because he knows we can hear him saying yeah. it like it's just funny shit you know it's cool like stuff it's it's definitely uh you know, I never went to college. Uh, my family didn't go on vacation when we were from Rochester. So this was the way I learned to deal with people and, and saw the country for the first time, you know. And then when the record, you know, other things happened, we got to go to other countries too. But it was all all with, like, my best friends. So I was very lucky. And I think everybody in a in a band can relate to that, you know. I There's... I just can think of one particular band right now. I'm thinking of that. The guys always the new new band, young band, always talking about who's going to mix this single and mix this and mix that. And it's like you know, I wish wish you the best. You kind of would do well to just go out and play some fucking shows and like learn about, 
you know, this this guy I'm thinking of in particular always we have arguments about how he, the black keys suck or the white stripes this and that, and it's like, dude, those bands earned it, <laughs> you know, like for real. Like we go play the Mohawk place in Buffalo, and you'd see the white stripe stickers, you know. Yeah, you realize they played here too, you know, and they played this shitty ass place, and it just There's give, something it to gives that. gives you. It, I mean, not, not you don't want to do it forever, but like it, it doing it definitely gives you a perspective and like a uh, what's the word like sea legs or something. And so then when things are go- not going well, it, it only goes down so deep. You know what I mean? It's not like well, it's over because so and so doesn't want to mix the single exactly. or whatever. And it's like no, it's not over. You know what I mean? Do you think the managing expectations and having that because again that time period ninety eight ninety nine it's not like you could fill your endorphins with likes from Instagram or no. retweets like you you didn't have that you couldn't just tweet out randomly like I'm in Buffalo and there'd be people like it, you had to have it with from within oh, oh no it was much smaller no, it was much much smaller no it was more like God we're gonna go to uh I don't know where, and God, I hope that same girl isn't there this time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, much, much smaller and more personal. But at the same time, like, we were meeting people and, you know, another place, like, God, I hope that other girl is there that time. You know, yeah. like, you're making these kind of relationships that might last for a long time. Yeah, I think, too, the... I, I think it's a fun time, and we talk about it a lot on the podcast of mm. just this sort of, I, I call it pre-Bleed American, post-Bleed American, and not just because of the music or the band, but just the way that things were consumed. Jimmy Eat World's record. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That broke a number of things. Mm. One, they were an independent punk yeah. like kind of band, and now they're sort of this giant thing, and it sort of opened up a world. The same thing happened in your world, but I think that also was the time when the internet sort of, like my first jobs it was like internet marketing and we yeah. were stuck in a corner room and have fun with that stuff. And mm. now there's departments of, you know, hundreds of people doing those things at the same place. So totally. it was an interesting watershed moment that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's funny. Megan took me to see Jimmy Eat World at the Bowery. And, uh, it's probably at that show. Yeah. 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 It was the, when that record was, was, was happening. Oh, and, it was definitely at that show then. Yeah. And I, I remember the way she had described them. Uh, I had not heard them. You had not heard them at all? No. And I went to the show and I thought, this doesn't jibe with what I remember her telling me they were like. Like, this band seems like major label. She was like, no, they're totally like DIY, underground, emo kind of band. I was like, I don't think so. This sounds like, you know. (laughs) Straight up radio rock. Totally. Which was totally fine, but it just was not what, you know. So it's probably what you're saying, which is like they were this kind of thing and then they leaned in this other... But and then hey, the internet I mean, era too, right? Yeah, I don't. I think when was that? That was probably if Megan was there. It was probably around the time it was late two thousand one, right? So that was probably one of the last. I my memories kind of go into a bit of a long wave bubble around then. Why and don't? Well, because we were just working. At some point, we got a deal and we had to make a record. Wanted to, you know, we we're happy to make a record. And from that moment on, for like a couple of years, that was really just, all I was thinking was, about. It was just a blur. Yeah. Well, meaning, I mean, like I just, we were on tour for 13 months straight. Like it was a, a real, it was our job and we were we were doing it all the time. So there are a lot of people, like I didn't talk to the Jolene singer for a couple of years, you know, just not wow. because I didn't want to. Yeah. But uh, I don't even know if I had a cell phone yet. You know, it was like, excuse me. Yeah, I didn't have one until I moved to New York. 
Yeah, like but I don't even I don't remember you when even I having one then. Yeah, so it was harder to get a hold of people, uh, you know, and then it's, so it was pretty much like I, I think I remember. Yeah, I was getting like phone cards to call home and yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like now where you just call your your buddy and you can still keep in touch. It was like I kind of lost touch with a lot of people around that time for just because I was working, and then reconnected later. You know. So from the RCA stuff, was it? Um, were you, I mean, definitely there was a sound, you know, and a lot of bands. And from that, RCA? For, no, just from, from the, just New York. Like, oh, yeah, 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 happening. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Were you apprehensive about being in, lumped into it? Were you happy about it? Was the, the, I was, the genre tags that people No, were no, I was just unaware. I was in the bubble, like I said. So I had, I, I was not objective. I thought uh, we sounded so much different from the strokes and, how you know part of me was like part of me was definitely happy if anyone would write or talk about us but another part would say well they they're not listening to the music we are obviously different from the strokes we're obviously different from these bands and then i remember uh uh being in h&m or something in in europe somewhere uh on tour and like matchbox 20 was on or something and then the strokes came on in the same store and i remember uh hearing it and thinking it sounded like us and it was hard to explain the, the song. Interesting. And, and then I realized it was The Strokes, and I realized, oh, we, we really kind of do sound more like... I mean, when you compare it to the rest of the world, yes. like, I, I was very myopic. I was very, like, in New York, in New York, in, 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 within my little bubble, we are so different, you know? And then once you pan out a little bit, it's like, n- not really, you know? I, it, like, obviously there were differences, but there was there was a you know, kind of a scrappiness or something or a low, low fineness or something. Even the AAS first record sounds amazing. Megan brought me to their first show at Mercury. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. She was like, come see this band. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they opened up for the liars, I think. Yeah. yeah but it was like, yeah. you saw it in that moment. You were like, well, this is a little piece of it. It can, it, it was cool to, to see those moments happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't see them until they were playing Irving Plaza. Uh, I don't remember. It was before their record was out. Their EP was out, but the record wasn't out yet. Uh, and I remember that was the first time I heard Maps. I remember that song was in my head for weeks. And wow. It wasn't out anywhere or anything. I just remembered it from the show. <laughs> and I remember we went to the Reading Fest. Longway was, was doing that. So, yeah, this is like, there are like bits and pieces during this time that I remember, but this was when yeah. Longway was, was working a lot. And I remember going, being at the airport, going to the Reading Fest, and there were Nick and Karen. And I was like, oh, shit. You know? And Nick, Shannon knew from around Williamsburg, because he was a Williamsburg guy forever. And we, w- we started talking, and they were very, very sweet. And I said, what's that song? I saw you guys play. That song's so good. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's called Maps. And I was like, man, that's a good song. And, you know. That's so cool. Oh, man, it was great. I, I mean, obviously, that song's a classic. So, but I didn't see them play it. At a like a tiny little club, Irving Plaza's a, a little club, I guess, but it's not a little club. Yeah, thousand people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, but that's what I remember from that show. Yeah, I've got. The, it, I, I'm lucky to have those memories. You know, the first time I saw Interpol was at Mercury. Really? Oh yeah, and I didn't know who they were. Someone uh, just asked you to go. I'm trying to remember what happened. I think I saw the band before them. Maybe it was with Megan. I don't remember. What I do remember is that they, 
came out and opened with uh, was it Obstacle Two, the second song on the first record I can't of theirs. Remember. With television, guitar, and I remember that Carlos, the bass player, the ba- there was no bass for like the first minute and a half of the song. And then he comes in and it's like, oh my God, this is the best bass playing ever. <laughs> so, you know, it, like I remember he was loud and it sounded so good. And I thought, who are these guys? These guys are fantastic. Uh, and I remember I, whatever song they played, the second song, I didn't like as much. And I, I left thinking, I'm going to leave because that was the perfect song. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I only saw one, one and a half songs of Interpol the first You're time. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Next time I saw them was, uh, Reading Fest, same as us. They were on the same stage. They, were, they hadn't really hit yet. Did you feel close between the bands? Depends on which band. That's what I mean. Like, were, were there ones that, like, because. The Strokes. The, you guys were closest with them? Yeah, because of Ryan, their manager. Uh, Ryan introduced us. Ryan was a good friend of mine. Ryan was a, also a, uh, a, a a huge supporter of Longwave and a, a lot of a lot of bands at the time. Ryan was great. Ryan, uh, you know, he really saw it before anybody else did. He had the Mercury and he, he was booking the Mercury, I guess, if anyone listening doesn't know. But he would book... You know the AAS, the lot before. You know who's had the job right before Megan. If you don't, you remember. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he had the French Kicks come in, the Realistics, uh, the Interpreters. I'm trying to think who else we would have. He had us come in, and it was all really good bands. Uh, and he just saw it before anybody else did. But so he anyway, he was very nice to to us and to me. And through him, we met the Strokes, and they were just, you know, dudes. And then I think when the Strokes started really happening, the Strokes guys were were happy to know some other bands that they liked enough to take on tour that I think they also felt comfortable with. I think they felt comfortable with us. They, no one ever told me this, but because we knew them before. and You weren't going to treat them any differently. Yeah, or like ask for anything. We were happy just to be there. You know what I mean? Like, we weren't going to ask for anything more. The first, uh, I just remember this recently, the first long wave tour with the Strokes was the first Strokes headlining U.S. tour. Oh, wow. And everybody was so green that we were all sharing the same dressing room. Like, we were in the Strokes dressing room the whole tour. We started in the south, went across the bottom, wound up in California, and they did that $2 bill show that they did uh with the elvis stage and i remember after that they did a san diego show that was a fucking train wreck and julian was was wasted i sang a couple songs because you couldn't fucking sing wow harmar superstar was yeah, there yeah. he sang a couple songs because i julian love harmar sing. yeah it was <laughs> us harmar and the strokes and uh but the, the point is we were all sharing a dressing room until the last date of the tour and the tour manager said hey guys you know julian he's you know he's He's not feeling great, and you know, could you guys give him some space? And I realized, oh yeah, yeah, okay, right, we got here. But like, we were all so green. It there was like we were just kids. Let's just hang out together. Yes, total kids. And and so I think that's why the Strokes would have us and the Realistics and some of these other bands from the time because these are the this is what they knew. This is what they and knew. they were kids too. They were younger than us. They were like twenty one. Nick was like nineteen or something. 
I mean, yeah. that's that DIY sort of. We want to bring people we are friends with, and we want to. Yeah, help. yeah, they were and really if someone supportive. Goes up, they want to bring people with them. Yeah, yeah, they really did for us and for a lot of our the friends bands. So you, I'm sure you remember. There was a lot of at that time. There was a lot of jealousy and and uh, of the Strokes, like uh, bands that were like, well, only models and you know, label guys go to their shows. And I was like, well, that sounds fucking good to me. I don't know what the problem is. I'll go hang out with some models and talk to some label guys. Maybe something cool will happen. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I, I, not that that was the case anyway, but it was just like, I don't know what the problem is. And so when I finally, I had built up in my whole, in my mind what the strokes sounded like. Cause the other guys in long wave were always, they would go out and they saw the strokes before I did. The first time I saw the strokes was uh, Mercury. It was sold out. I did not. I had met them before that, and we had hung out together, but I never that seen their the band. That wasn't the shitty Beatles show, right? No, no, no. This was the that was the, after the residency. The residency, yeah. The four four shows. They Ryan asked us to do a residency show with the Strokes, opening for the Strokes. And at that point, we were doing our own shows on like Fridays and Saturdays at Mercury. I was like, "Well, I'm not playing. Fuck that," you know. And Ryan was like, "Well, are you, are you sure it's going to be a good show?" And I was like, "No, you know, we'll wait. We'll wait. Do another one." He's like, "Fine." And I, of course, I show up and it's sold out, lying down the block. And I was like, you know, <laughs> stupid, stupid, you know. But uh, I had built up in my mind what the Strokes must sound like because at that time there were a lot of there weren't you know there were some like garagey bands in New York, and uh, I had almost dismissed the idea of the Strokes. And then I saw them at that Mercury show, uh, and I remember they played "Hard to Explain," and that was the song where I was like oh my god like these this is no joke like this is a, whoever wrote this song is fucking serious first yeah, of yeah. all and these guys can all play like the guitars are everything's arranged like like you know like a well like a you know finger joined cabinet you know he's like this you can't see my fingers but like you know they all fit together interlock, so well yeah interlock thank you so yeah it was i was completely blown away and I remember after, like, coming off the stage, Julian was drunk, and he gave me a big kiss, and like, nice to see you, Steve. And uh, and I remember thinking, like, I, I, like I was changed by, by the strokes in my mind. I was like, I can't look at you guys the same way now because I know you're this good. Uh, and then, yeah, the next time I was I saw them was uh, they were headlining the Hammerstein Ballroom. Wow! And uh, I had not seen them personally in a while. And I went with the guy who became the drummer in Longway. We needed a drummer. Their their publicist had become our manager. He was trying to get us a deal through the people you know he knew. We had this EP Longway <clears throat> needed a drummer badly. Our drummer had just quit because he didn't see the band going anywhere. Then the Strokes thing started to happen, and we needed a drummer. So I called my friend Mike in Rochester. He came down. First thing we did was go to see the Strokes at Hammerstein Ballroom. Oh wow! And uh, we saw the show. Show was great no no uh interaction with anybody with the strokes or anything we left with everybody else from the show 3500 people leaving and i thought well that's it that was cool that i knew those guys and maybe i'll see them sometime but that's the end of that i won't I, you know probably won't i don't know when i'll see them again this was an enormous show this is i i never knew anybody that was remotely yeah. this popular like you know all, all the friends i knew in bands were playing the luna lounge still at that time so like I, they were like completely gone as far as i was concerned and i remember distinctly uh mike and i were turning around the corner and this like side door the hammer sign opens and it's fab the drummer from the strokes and he opens the door and he's like steve 
what are you doing out here? Come in. Like, what are you doing out here? Come on in. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, come on, Mike. Let's go. And so we went in, and it was like a total, like everything Reunion. else. Like, yeah. And this is before we toured. Like, right after that was when Ryan was like, you know, do you want to do this tour? And we said, yes. And they said, he said, right, we also have dates in England. And you, do you have anything for sale or anything in England? And I said, no. He said, well, can you get something going on? Because if you can't, we're going to give the dates to somebody else. I said, yes, yes, I can get something happening. And I had no idea what I was going to do. But, but about a week before that, someone had called me at my job on Wall Street. I was working at a back office weird job, temp job thing. And someone from England had called because they heard about the strokes and long wave. And, wow. and I just called him back and I said, do you want to put out a long wave thing? We need someone to put something out. And You needed a physical piece. Yeah, and- to get that tour. Otherwise, they were going to give it to someone else, which, which makes sense. And yeah, it also, no, it also means they were trying to help somebody. And they were trying to help us. So because of that, we really had to get our shit together. And uh, so you figured out the drummer thing. Got got Mike. Yeah, Mike came and stayed <laughs> on Dave's couch while we, we we started going on tour, and that was it. We all still had our day jobs, and uh, I remember distinctly being in England. We did the first time Long Way played London. The first two shows were at Brixton Academy, opening for The Strokes, which is fine. <laughs> what a way to go! Yeah, and I remember calling my job at like three in the morning or whatever, and saying like I'm not I'm. Uh, I'm not coming back for another week. Like I'm, I'm going to hang out here. My girlfriend at the time flew over. We just completely bailed on everybody after the tour was done. Like yeah, our yeah. jobs and stuff back home. Like <laughs> went driving around France. Like we like totally had a a whole oh, that's thing. Cool. Yeah, it was like total. You know, lucky to have those experiences for sure. And but, then, the, but I love that you know that he opened up the door. He wanted you to come in. I think yeah. those things are so important. And yeah. sometimes you get that feeling. You leave and you're like, "Well, that was cool, whatever." But for him to then, like, it, that's when you know that you made a connection and yeah. there was a scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I mean, it was. I, I can't talk about anyone else's experiences, but for us, it was definitely like. You know, we we were all under the Strokes umbrella. So, excuse me. It, I, I don't know if that makes it a, a complete scene or not. But for us, it was, you know, it was it was amazing. You know, we were, uh, like I say, I, I, like we were at the Reading Festival and the, we were playing on the side stage. Interpol was playing too, the same side side stage. Strokes were headlining the main stage. You know, whatever eighty thousand people or something. And I remember after they, like, we hung out. We didn't have to hang out. We were done playing for eight hours. But we hung out, watched them play, go backstage just to hang out with Ryan and the guys in the band. And uh, and there's Jack White, and there's Meg White, and there's Ryan Adams, and there's whoever else was playing. Moldy Peaches are there. And, and, and I remember, like, just, it was like kids. It was literally people in their, like, ages 20 to 23 and some of them had just played in front of 80,000 people like a half hour ago. You know what I mean? And like the manager of that band is also 23. So it was a really cool moment. You were figuring it out. Yeah, Everybody yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think those sure. those things sort of last, like the to, to see who was in that room. And I bet they were all just as excited to see everybody else. Yeah. No, everyone was, was like, can you believe this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I can't. Um... I think the other piece that brings it back a little bit to emo is I think a lot of kids and not kids people yeah uh, 
loved shoegaze. Ah. You know, the Smiths and the shoegaze world, like those kind of like the Brit stuff, like it intersected a lot mm. with a lot of the emotional bands. And I think those bands were listening to a lot of that stuff and it sort of permeated in some of the music. Did you as shoegaze did you take that as a genre or were you like we're something else or? yeah kind of that uh, to be honest uh, but it was more just contrarian nature of anything it wasn't like we just didn't know we get long we would get all these reviews like you know obviously influenced by the icicle works it's like <laughs> i don't even know who the hell that is you know what i mean i never I heard of this that. i yeah, love that like obviously you. influenced by this and it's like, like no like listen it, yeah like you know these guys really need to buy another record aside from the Chameleons UK, and it's like maybe I should buy a Chameleons record. You know, <laughs> so yeah, that was I, probably really weird to read all those and think that no, I just thought I just thought they're cooler than I am because I don't know these records. And for me, it was the Edge from U two. Like, he had a lot of echo, and I'm like, I want to sound like that. I got a Memory Man pedal, still got it right there. Yeah, so, you know, it was like, you know, the, and then Shannon had a blue dod pedal and that basically got him in the band it was like he started playing and it sounded kind of cool and weird and i was like you're in the band yeah so it wasn't like we were emulating something out i mean i was trying to emulate the edge i guess but it was really just that's what shannon sounded like he had never played guitar before so he was interesting yeah so and you were telling earlier that you were oblivious of emo at that time not the popular i knew sunny day you knew sunny day the scout had Toured with Sunny Day. Get out! Yeah, yeah no, tell yeah. me about that. Oh yeah, Steve. Why aren't I you? Thought, talk? We we've been wasting. Tw- I'm, I'm so, no. I, I'm you kidding. can edit this. You I'm can edit kidding. this. You can, you can start it right here. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Steve told Tom he's toured with Sunny Day, twenty yeah. minutes in. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just forget these things. That's okay. That's why. That's why we're here. Uh, right. Uh, let me. How did that happen? So I joined. As I said, Scout was my friend Ashen singing in the band and this amazing drummer named nigel playing drums and i joined the band they had had bad luck with guitar players i joined the band they already had shit going on uh pretty much uh let's see she had a publishing deal with chrysalis i think at the time oh wow pretty much right after i joined kind of a bunch of cool stuff started happening for scout um and I think it helped that they had a, a, a halfway decent guitar player now, but they already had kind of stuff in place, and all, all of a sudden it was like, right, now we have a complete band thing started happening. Kind of like Long Wave a couple years later when Mike joined on the drums. Mike was a fantastic drummer, and it was like all of a sudden it You're felt right. like we're ready to, sh- like, there's no more, this isn't the learning period anymore, like now we're ready to, to, to play, you know, really, really do it. So that was where Scout was at that time. So Scout, uh, somebody i can't remember how it happened that they met someone related to sunny day but we opened an irving plaza show for them for sunny what year day. was that 98 wow uh yeah end of 98 I think. so that was the how September. it feels record yeah how it feels to be something on yeah yep um and i remember watching them sound tr- sound check and william playing drums and being like jesus fucking christ that guy it's it, too loud too loud calm down buddy <laughs> so uh, you know uh but and i also remember that was the first time i experienced up close like the cult of jeremy enoch like the, uh, enoch 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 yeah uh they just you know someone ashen had told me like you're gonna see like all these fans are gonna ask you do you know jeremy and i'm like oh yeah sure and i was like no people really were like does Jer- Jeremy must love Scout? Like, how how long have you known him? I need to speak to him. And it was like, 
dude, like get away. You know? <laughs> I don't even know him. You know, so, that was me. No, I'm just kidding. I yeah, was not the show. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> So I yeah. do remember that tour. I saw it in North Carolina, and you could still smoke. Oh, you can still smoke anywhere. Wait, there. did but you see uh, at uh, Cat's uh, Cradle? I, we were there. We opened the show. Get the fuck. That's huh? it. Now yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. Scott was there. Yes, but you remember yeah. the signs up saying "Don't smoke." No, they had signs up that said "Please don't smoke." J- Jeremy like didn't want to. Oh, the band put the signs up for the for the show, not the venue. Yeah, yeah. The, the band put the signs wow. up in North Carolina, Tobacco Road. Cat's oh. Cradle. I saw that tour three times. You guys played North Carolina three. Yeah. You played Raleigh. Win, no, you played uh, uh, wait Car- Carborough, yeah. Winston, yeah. and Charlotte. I'm not sure if we did the other two. Yeah. I remember Cat's Cradle. My memory's a little fuzzy. Ashen would remember. Yeah, but that was crazy for me to look at the tour dates and be like, are you seriously playing three shows that I can all drive to? Oh, yeah, yeah, And I was yeah, in yeah, school yeah, at yeah. the time, and gas was under a dollar, so who cares? Oh, yeah. Um, it was fine. But those, but that moment, I think the those those tours, you're right, that was like peak crazy mm. um, for a lot of those fans because of... Yeah. And this record was, I think, a lot of people connected on, too. Yep, yep, yep. And... Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any more that I remember about about those. How shows. many dates were those? I really don't remember. Not many. It wasn't a lot because yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I had my day job. Like we, I don't know how we would have done so it. Many. Yeah, and Scout was. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but not entirely functional. If that makes sense, like it was, it was a miracle we got through whatever we did with those guys. <laughs> So. All right, what other bands did you play with that I didn't know about? I'm I don't remember. I don't remember. I have, to, I have to. If we keep talking, I'll, I I'll, they'll, they'll come back. So I talking. Well, I, 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 sorry, one more. Yeah, I, yeah. I, there's one more Sunday thing. I, I did go. Long Wave uh, had two brushes with Sunny Day when they did the Rising Tide record. Um, Scout, I, th- I, I think I had left Scout. Scout continued on. I was. They were band before me, and I left, and they continued after me too. And then years later, we did scout stuff together again but uh when long wave started becoming more of my thing um i left scout and at some point i saw sunny day was playing in new york again and i they were doing a signing and i went with shannon stood in line brought them a copy of our first long wave record and i remember thinking they're gonna remember and like it's gonna be cool we did the shows and they were like oh yeah hey oh no no. so (laughs) were you totally like oh i was bummed fuck yeah yeah absolutely and then, but then years after that, Longwave uh, played with the Fire Theft yeah. at uh, Experience Music in Seattle. And by then, Jeremy was very sweet, and I don't, I don't know if he remembered me from Scout, but he was very much like, "Well, we know Longwave, and like, great, we get to play together." Oh, that's it, was, cool. it was, it was nice. It was nice. Um, so it almost, almost made up for the bullshit. <laughs> Great to see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. you, man. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. I brought my record for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no. So that was, that's the sun. That's my history. All of it. I love some, it. I think. Was Did you of. think I? One of my. I mean, when I first heard Longwave. Yeah. Again, I was into a lot of this. I was into hardcore. I was into punk. For some reason, out of all the bands from that, and I was working in New York. I think your record connected with me on a lot, and it was. This would have been the strangest things record, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Thanks. And I man. just feel like. If the first notes of like wake me up, yeah, wake yeah. me when it's over, like that is, it's 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 like it wasn't sad to me, 
it was just it was it had this cool feeling to it mm. if that makes sense it wasn't like a it people some oh it's sad or it's this and it, it wasn't uh, it was more like I always say like euphoric like there's these like moments of oh thanks of I love that sounds that sort of envelop the song and I think yeah. that especially that record um, and that song yeah um, was there anything to that that like putting that song together or was it just the edge <laughs> well that song no that would have been that was uh, that was a case for the other three. And you came Pretty in on that. Pretty much wrote that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I would have pegged that one as you. No. Well, they wrote what you hear them playing. So that song started uh, in the UK. We did this, I don't know, I guess we were rehearsing for the Reading Festival or something, uh, at a place called The Depot. And I remember that uh, I went to go get water or whatever I was getting. I went to the kitchen. And the other three guys were, were, were rehearsing, like just fucking around. And I had to go upstairs or something to get my water. And I, I ran to these guys that were in a band called the Libertines. And I didn't know. They were no one who, you know, just a brand new band. And they were they wanted to talk about the Strokes. What are the Strokes like? Uh, how is it playing shows of the Strokes? <laughs> and it was very sweet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're cool guys. I don't know. They're a good, good band. And then I heard through the floor, wake me when it's over. And, like, the first thing you hear on that record, that's what I heard through the floor. Wow. And I was like... And I, th- this guy Carl's telling me about, asking about the strokes. And all you can hear. And I'm just listening to Shannon and Mike and Dave playing. I'm like, and I said, hey man, I, 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 you know, nice to meet you. I gotta go. Like this is the I gotta go see what they're playing. And so I basically just came in. Like the way it comes in on the song is how it how it happened. So you literally like, walked in and started playing that guitar line. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Wow. I, I do remember, you know, like like a, a lot of stuff. I would kind of have the melody and stuff. Yeah, I think the guitar parts just happened right away. It was that was usually the case, but so yeah. And then we basically put put it. To, we were doing the Strokes tour, and at the last night of the tour in Dublin uh, was, I think, where I had gotten the "Wake Me When It's Over" line. And I think I just, you know, there's not many lyrics to the song. I just finished the lyric. I remember singing "Wake Me When It's Over" in this empty big theater in Dublin called the Olympia Theater. It's kind of built like a birthday cake. It's like different wow. balconies all the way up like small but tall place and uh, I remember just like singing thinking this is like a dream come true it was you know I was thinking about not going back to my job for the next week and like, going out with my, going off yeah, my girlfriend yeah. out of France and I was like what a cool moment yeah it was, it was great so yeah that was the song was the song's good for me too because of all those memories that I have doing it you know and then i need i see you have all this equipment around were you as specific back then of like the sound and yeah how like you were definitely like if it was with the producer like definitely giving that input and mm. or were you more well we were lucky because we had a great producer named dave fridman that did that record uh still friends with dave he's terrific dave's dave's a uh a real really great guy and producer so no, we were very, and I, I, I guess me, I was very uh, stubborn, and probably more than I should have been at the time. Like I would make our drummer redo the take if the bass drum pattern was off for like, really? for like one bar. Fucking redo it again. <laughs> yeah, and Dave would be like, "It's fine, Steve." And I'm like, "No, man, it's gotta be right." So, you know, I was more on everybody's case than Dave was. Dave had the bigger picture in mind, and uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we were always very particular, for sure. And then with the with the, with that moment in time in those records and long waves sort of time, did you? 
what were some of the thoughts like i guess with it with you guys ended up breaking up like years later yeah was it was it the was it your was it the time was it everyone was kind of getting which, older which and, time <laughs> so for a few times what do you mean like when we stopped after like 2009 ish yeah time? yeah uh i was just tired of the band by then so i mean like so what we were just talking about would be like 2001 to and then somewhere around 2003, we put that record out, and then it was uh, it started losing a little bit of the innocence to it because it became more like a job, not a job, but like it wasn't like the the previous year or a little more it was like everything was just looking up, 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 and you know you're always looking forward to wow we really you know we might get this cool tour at the Strokes wow we might get a record deal. Well, you know, we might get to work with Dave Friedman. This is amazing. Everything is like a new thing that you're looking forward to. And then when we started doing all the touring behind it, that's when it really became like, uh, you know, you got to do it. We were happy to play live, but it, it just became more like you get your, I don't know what the word is. It, it, this is what leads some people to become jaded about music because you're just like you feel like you're just spinning your wheels sometimes you're not getting anywhere the shows aren't getting any bigger uh people aren't getting along in the band so it, people's you know, tastes change like the fans like they one year like you're this and then the next year yeah. you're on to something else well, we can't control that i mean all you can control is our own what we were doing you know and, and even that was like tough Harder. it was getting tough you know so yeah the stroke singer julian says that uh <laughs> let me get it right uh he says a band is a great way to destroy a friendship and a tour is a great way to destroy a band and so you know that started to ring true by the yeah. end of like you know over a year of touring on that first rca record so yeah again all you can control is your your band and your music and try to as i said before like remain as classy as you can and like you know not you know fuck anybody over or piss anybody off and then you know try to keep your relationships good you know especially between the members of the band which is very tough after this first rca record sony bought bmg which was the parent company of, wait i'm trying to think bmg bought rca then sony bought BMG. i can't remember how like it was like all this consolidation happened and bands were getting dropped left and right so all of a sudden, my focus was like, oh, my God, we're going to get dropped. We did a show at Irving Plaza. It was our show. It was the only time we've ever headlined Irving. And we opened with a song called There's a Fire, which became the first song on the next record that we did. And thank God, like, we did that. The A&R guy was there. And, like, after the first song, us opening with that song, apparently he leaned over to our manager and said, you know, we got to do another record with these guys. Wow. That's a killer song. <laughs> we just, you know we opened with a brand new song and that was the, but the, you're right the, that consolidation too of like you all these bands that were like yeah 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 oh we're, you're sorry you're you're done and yeah then, we were just barely surviving wow. you know and you know we proceeded at that point to make an extremely expensive record that was you know probably and you know maybe our our worst record you know what I mean in a lot of ways I love the songs on it but it it, it could have been a better record so after that. Uh, there was a period that followed that I was do a couple of us. I started doing like guitar gigs with Albert, some other Albert from the Strokes, a couple other things I was doing to, just to make a living because the band had stopped being able to make me a living. And then we did, you know, got another record deal, another publishing deal, 
did Secrets Are Sinister, which is the fourth now Longwave record. And then... In 08. Yep. And then Shannon uh, left the band. And that was kind of like the death knell. Like, that was, you know, that, that wasn't... Uh, Resolvable is that a word? Yeah, we it, it yeah. was not able. You can't. You could. We couldn't figure that out. Shannon was gone. It was it. So we had some tours set up. We uh, our friends. We were always good at making friends with bands. So Block Party took us out. Okay, go Blue October. We met at that time, and we had to, did all that with a guy named Keith playing guitar. Uh, Shannon would play in New York, and then it got to be where we fulfilled those commitments, and I had other stuff starting to happen, and I was like, you know, what? I'm just. I'm just tired of this. Tired of like, you know, carrying the whole thing. You know, not mm-hmm. not not that the other guys' contributions weren't extremely important and and like vital, but I felt like I was carrying the whole thing, and I thought I, I can't deal with it anymore. So that's that's what stopped it. And so you have new music. Yes. Yeah. There's a Stay whole new with record. me is the first song that's out. Yeah. And so how did that come about? Everybody said hey the song or the whole thing the whole thing how did everybody say like hey i think we're ready to jam out yeah well shannon as i said left the band in 2009 and uh he and i had like it was the first like we had always gotten along great and that was like the first time i was like i don't want to see you motherfucker like i don't want to see him and it took a while for that to mend uh, and at a certain point, it, it did. We started hanging out again, and I, you know, I love this guy Shannon here. So uh, at some point, he—I'm uh, trying to think of the timeline here. I found out that I was going to be a dad about six years ago, <laughs> and that was the first time Shannon and I were out one night late, drinking, having a good time. And I remember it was like two in the morning. Everyone else had gone home, just me, Shannon, and I. And Shannon says, I think we should get the band back together. And I was like, you motherfucker. You know? And I said, I got to go to the bathroom. And I went and came back and I said, listen, I got to tell you, I haven't told anybody yet. Uh, I'm going to be a dad. Like, you know, she's pregnant. Like, and he was like, oh. So, you know, there goes that. <laughs> so, it, it, it had a lot of fits and starts. Uh, we, we got a, That's At some cool. point, we did get a rehearsal space in Williamsburg, sharing with somebody, with, uh, We Are Scientists, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we started banging out some new songs, but the space was shitty, it was cold, We were, it smelled, we were unhappy. We'd always just play for a half hour and then just go get food or something. So, it never really took, like, took hold until about maybe two years ago. I had moved into here, the studio where we're in right now. Uh, and so I had a space that we could be loud in. And that made all, all the difference. That was like, now we could do this thing. And I, I had been doing ad music, TV commercials for like probably five years or something at this point and for a living. And I was starting to, to you know, I enjoy doing that, but I was starting to miss like turning up distorted fuzz guitar, you know. So I called Shannon and I said, hey man, let's do this. Let's try to work on some stuff. So we, he came out, he flew out, and we did that maybe th- three or four times. And at a certain point we realized we were like making a record. So, uh, you know, we had all these plans about how to finish the record and stuff. And at a certain point we decided we're just going to finish it all here. And so that's, that's what we did. That's great. We didn't mix it here, but all the recordings, Stay With Me, everything was recorded here. Rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back again. 
Yeah, man, it's cool. <laughs> I, I remember distinctly when we first got together to, in here to play, and we had Christian playing bass. This is another important thing. Our bass player is, isn't new, uh, newish now. Uh, I remember when we all got together to start playing. You know, I'm pretty diplomatic in my work. I, you know, I have to if I get asked to do a TV commercial thing, and it's like ukuleles and hand claps or something. You know, and it's like, well, yep, sure, yeah, yep, great, I'll do it. You know. But I remember when we were all sitting here, you know, rehearsing and fucking around. I can't remember what it was. Something came up and it was like, yeah, that band, this record or something. And like, you know what? I think that record fucking sucks. And I was like, that feels so good to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, I could say this with my with your friends, with my friends. You it's know? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you oh, know, that's great. I, and I could you know tell jay i don't really like that drum part you're playing he could say well the guitar part you know you guys going to we can work on that you know and it was it's cool to like have your your pals you know so it's i mean you are truthful with your friends yeah because that you were better and for worse yeah <clears throat> so then you you alluded to the to the writing of you know for commercials and stuff and yeah. i've there's a lot of bands that do that my yeah. adam from chamberlain does that yeah. uh josh from shift and a bunch yeah. of other punk bands he does it in la yeah. ben my old bandmate does yeah. it yeah. you do it yeah. it's such a rad it's almost like the perfect tour you don't go anywhere you uh, get to go home every night you're still making music and yeah uh, kind of <laughs> yeah i mean you, you're not touring <laughs> i like, just no you know i'm saying like that that job it's not like you need to uh, yeah being in a band being yeah, making yeah, music yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. involve you having to go anywhere right yeah no, exactly. Uh, the best part about it is you get to do your own, at least I, for me anyway, I'm a freelancer. Um, you get to make your own schedule and you do whatever you want. The worst thing about it, a lot of times, is like what happened today. where like, Deadlines. I, yeah, a deadline comes in and you're just like, well, whatever plan you had, you have to blow it off because you gotta, this is your job. You know? you gotta get the guy done. needs to get it to, to tape on Saturday morning and you got to yeah, finish on yeah. Friday. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those times it's kind of arbitrary and you yeah. find out later, but you do your best to get everything you know that the, the job is getting it to them on time and being uh easy to deal with and then after that it's making good music for them you know what i mean because that's a, a lot, really good point a lot of people can make the music but they like, want to see your name and steve uh, steve you know he can do act, uh, he can make it happen for you yeah that yeah, person yeah. on the phone's already yeah, stressed yeah, out yeah, 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 trying yeah, to get yeah. whatever they need that's right that's right yeah how did you get into it uh through the band through longwave um i'm trying to remember now longwave did a had a lubriderm commercial like 2000 before secrets are sinister came out one of the songs uh was used in a lubriderm commercial and a friend of ours uh made that happen and it was really good money and he the friend of ours said to shannon and myself you know would you like to do more of this stuff and we said well hell yeah let's do it and there was never any more more money after that point. I, I did a bunch of stuff for him for free. I was learning how to use Pro Tools. Uh, didn't sound that great yet. I didn't have a real studio. It was like laptop in a corner, and I was just learning. And uh, at a certain point, I felt like I had gotten good enough where I wanted him to give me a little bit of money if he was going to make me do all this work. And I said as much to him, and he said, "Well, okay, cool, you know." And that was it. He didn't never call me again. So then I sat on that for a while, and then at a certain point, I was at a party i think and i saw another guy that had a space next to our old space and uh, he uh, he said what are you doing i said what are you doing he said oh i do this stuff for ad i said oh yeah me too which was a bald pretty much bald-faced lie i had done it a little bit for free but it wasn't like i was a 
professional at it. Uh, and so at some point he called me and said, we need a song for a Wendy's thing. And he thought the guy can write a song, me, but I sent him back a fully produced track and that's, they, they started calling. Wow. So, and this, I think the second or third time they called, uh, I won. So, you know, I don't know if you know. Yes. Yeah. So you're kind of you, competing. You yes. Yeah, you're pitching and you get a little bit of money just for trying, but, like uh, a kill fee. <laughs> yeah, but then if you win, it's, it's it can be really good money. So I think the second or third time they called, I won the, the job. And if you're winning now, then they're definitely going to keep calling because you know they make these music houses make money when you win too. They you know they're not they're not in it for free. You know they they get their money too. So they love you if you're winning. So they started calling and calling, and then. Uh, at some a certain point, our old manager wound up working at this other music house, so he did the same thing. Called and said, That's "Can you write great. a song for a Chipotle ad?" No problem. Send them back this whole track, and like immediately, he's on the phone. Wow, I didn't know you could make it sound like a whole track. Can you? you did we have this other job? And can you do this? And so, you know, just kind of started going. And this was probably yeah, like maybe six years ago or something. That's amazing. Or a little more. Yeah, I love the the ball face lie. <laughs> like right yeah. in front of that guy yeah 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 well i had just love yeah. the moment like you being like uh, i do that too <laughs> well i i don't think I, yeah i was kind of I, I don't remember what i told him but it was enough and he didn't call me for like another six months you know he just remembered it at a certain at some time that i had said that and he needed someone who could write a song for a wendy's ad so that's yeah. cool it was so do you yeah. see doing this for a long time uh there's a lot to the answer to that question um uh, the simple answer is yeah. I would I would say uh, I like doing the the ad stuff. Um, it just would 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 depend on if other stuff happens, you know. Um, what do you want to do then in music? Yeah, I know you're doing long wave. I know you're doing this. Like, are there other things you've thought about you've wanted to do, or just in general? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's just more of the same, which is enough to keep going. Well, long wave just did a tour for two little two week tour. Uh, and that was great. I, I kind of need to keep doing that in some capacity. Not all the time, but I need to keep doing that. I think uh, I'm good at it, and I think I like to do it. So um, it's a balance, because I don't want to be touring for a year straight or something. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we did this tour with a band called Blue October, and I've uh, one of the songs, I've written a few songs with them now, one of the songs was kind of a, a little hit for them this year did really well for them so uh now there's a new publishing deal for me between the long wave stuff the october stuff there's a couple other things that i wrote with other people too so it, it, it you know i've had a few different publishing deals in, in my in my time and this is a new thing for me to try and uh you know i can't go on tour forever but i like writing music i like working with people so it, I don't know if I'd do the ad stuff forever. I would like to do this stu- other stuff too. The ad stuff is good money. So yeah, I think it'll be a. But a, working a with people, producing, writing music with people. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the examples you've talked about, it's been oh that friend I saw from this or this guy was doing this. It's uh, yeah, being yeah. involved and those things will happen. And I think you're sort of like I think these are all appreciating because of that. I think this is. I think about this sometimes. I think. Um, I, mean, I don't know if this is what you're 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 saying exactly, but it seems now. I don't know if it's because of social media or maybe it's just my own experience, but there's a lot of uh, 
younger bands that try to be more positive than I thought we were. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are bands that we knew back in the day that fought like cats and dogs, and and I thought, well, they're not going to last very long because they're going to beat the fuck out of each other. But like now, I I know of a few bands that that you know they take care of themselves better, they don't drink as much. They they they, they there's like an emphasis on trying to be positive. I think it can go a little overboard. I, I, you know, there's a lot of the what, uh, humble bragging or whatever shit that happens. Yeah. You know, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, I, I, I think what we're talking about with, with like our friends and the bands we're still friends with and people from the past, uh, it, it's it's a lot about just being supportive of each other, and it, it is a bit like a larger community and uh, staying positive when you, you know, you're like, you're like, you know, being, you know, careening through the universe in your life, and it's like you bump up against this person, and that person, and your in your comings and goings, and you, you say, hey, you know, like, cool, like, I, I heard your new song, great, you know, I'm happy that you guys are doing this, you know, like The Shield of Vine is an example, you know, I don't talk to Aaron or those guys, like, frequently, but when I see them, I'm happy to see them, I love hearing new Shield of Vine music, um, and I will tell them, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this, you know, and I think, in a way, that's, that's, that is all of it. There's nothing else to it. Like you doing your thing because you you want to do it. I, you know, we're not making this necessarily for you know f- fans to listen to. I, I would love I love that I do think about that, but mostly it's like I'm getting my kicks by playing loud fuzz guitar again. Uh, and you know, at the same time, you're like just trying to have a positive experience in your life, and so that that involves you know keeping your relationships good with everybody like how's it been how are you doing how are your kids like at this point now a lot of my friends have kids like i have kids you know so it's like you know a whole other dimension now of life that's that's unfolding uh when you when you see these other bands blue october guys like it's like we get together we talk about their kids so um I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. It but, does. No, but, life but it, moves on. You have those experiences that you're all dealing with. Like you said, all your friends now have kids. You're yeah. having those chats. But it all sort of music still around it. There's still, like, like I guess it's a bit of a community aspect or something, or like a family feeling, you know what I mean? I definitely feel like the Blue October guys and are, are like a, a, a family. I feel like I'm in the the circle there. That's the strokes is the same thing, you know? It's That's what you all... Isn't that what anybody wants? They just want to have... You want to have friends through life, and it's yeah. like it's great when there's music too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is that's kind of the order, actually, at this point too. You know what I mean? There's been a lot of times with Long Wave the new stuff where it's like you know, if we all can't do it, that's okay. I'm not gonna like a show comes up, we can't do it. I'm not gonna bust everybody's balls. Like uh, the important, like if anyone's unhappy, like we'll, we'll stop because there's no good reason at this point now to like piss anybody off in the band you know so i don't know if that makes sense but it does no i think it's a good feeling yeah like friends like friends and then music mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah it's kind of a you know it's it's a, a bit like back when we started playing with long wave in the first place you know take me back to the other place take me back when i'm I can see all the 
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shuttle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.